So, welcome, Alex. Glad to meet you, and thanks Thank for you. telling all about your um, uh, experiences so far. And so, what we started to do is begin to put things together in the sense that various traditions all teach the same thing, but each one of them has a couple of pieces missing. And another one uh, way of looking at it is, is that the various traditions are actually more exactly locations. So when we talk about Zen, we're talking about Chinese and Korean. When we talk about Chan, that's Chinese. Talking about Theravada, that's Southeast Asia, et cetera, like that. So uh, Tibet is geographical. But the Buddhisms in each one of those places seem very different from one another. But there's a way of looking at it, and that's like um, algebra in the sense of the associative law of multiplication that A times B plus A times C is the same as extracting the A out and getting B plus C times A. That's the associative law of multiplication. Okay, so we can do that with Buddhism in a sense of that the things that are a common thread among all of the teachings of the Buddha is fairly close to the teachings of the Buddha and everything else is probably culture and or a bit and piece missing here and there. And so by looking at it from that direction, we can recognize that we can learn a lot from all of the various teachings of the Buddha because they all kind of fit in place as either this is Dhamma or this is the cultural baggage that the Dhamma brought with it. So from that perspective, we can come back to the point that actually the Buddha only taught about one kind of meditation. And so any other kind of meditation is just going to be the same as the Buddha's teaching of meditation with a couple of pieces gone, or maybe the same with both a couple of pieces gone, but some other stuff plugged in those holes. Yeah. All right. And so this is where we get various uh, versions of it. But they all have the same goal in the sense of coming to having no goals. Coming to the state of not no longer desiring desirelessness, you're just in a state of desirelessness. You don't want anything. That's real freedom. And they all have that as an underlying thing. In the Zen, you'll hear it from the perspective of um, there's nothing to do, no place to go, that in fact you're already enlightened, just sit there and enjoy it. Enjoy the fact yeah. you're already enlightened. Right? So this is the way that we can see that fits in with the actual teachings of the Buddha that we find in the suttas. But that's not practiced very often, especially with systems like the noting, because the noting has to be done ferociously to get every note in. To rather that uh, because generally when the student says note, what do you want me to note? The answer to his question is anything that arises. And that anything that arises is actually one of the missing pieces of the puzzle. And they so put that in there, anything that comes up. Well, no, basically, we need to have some discernment that we're actually going to look at 
things that are unwholesome only long enough to see that they're unwholesome and then throw them out immediately. Or that conveyor belt of the mind, as we're going down the conveyor belt of the mind, rather than being a storage room full of junk, it's just what's on your plate right now? What's on the conveyor belt right now? What's in front of you at this particular moment? That's the way to begin to look at it in the sense that if something that's on your plate right now, that's unwholesome, then let's throw that out and put something wholesome instead right now. That we're not trying to clean out the mind or clean out the room over a long period of time, getting rid of stuff that's been stored there for years and years. We're just going to whack off what's happening right now. Another example is imagine that there is a weed that someone desperately wants to kill. But that weed is growing out of the cracks in the cement on the sidewalk or the curb or whatever. And they know that they're getting into a lot of trouble if they dig up the sidewalk in order to kill that weed. But there's another way to handle it, and that is that every time that the weed throws up a shoot or a leaf, you just whack it off at the surface of the ground. You don't have to worry about the weed. But every time it shoots up, you whack it down. In that regard, the, the root's going to wither slowly and die away because it's getting no nourishment, or in a way of the mind, it's getting no airtime. Those mm. particular neurons are no longer being used. Yeah, so it's like a, you're not activating the habit. Okay, and so you've already built up quite a number of neurons of unwholesome thoughts, including being unhappy because you can't meet up with the new standards that you've just set for yourself of, I'm supposed to watch the breath. Okay. Yeah. And so we can begin to say, wait a minute, that's just a new rule that I've made. When the real teaching of the Buddha is just to relax and enjoy yourself every time you can remember to relax and enjoy yourself. And here you are getting uptight every time you remember to relax and enjoy yourself. That's the Western mind for us. We have to make work out of everything. We have to try. Yeah. Where the success is very easy. All we have to do is just dump that plate. Just throw it off of our um, conveyor belt for the moment. No, that's not acceptable. We'll wait for the next nine months and see what comes next. And so this is the practice over and over and over again. We keep looking at the mind. When do we do that? When we wake up to it. When sati occurs. This is why sati is such a valuable skill. It's the number one dude. If you can't remember to use your uh, well-developed skills, then your skills are going to be of no value at the points in time when you've forgotten them. So sati is all about to remember to wake up and gladden the mind, to throw out whatever wholesome thoughts that are of the past or the future or someplace else and start having thoughts about the body in this present moment, right here, right now, including the senses, the eyes, the ears. I mean, we live, every one of us live in a marvelous universe of our own perspective. 
So when you gladden the mind, so you throw out the bad thoughts and the replacement is just be here now in the body specifically. And with enjoyment, to gladden or brighten the mind. Wow, this is such a life-giving breath. Oh, this feels so good. Begin to enjoy the moment because you've actually been uh, ignoring the moment while you were working. Be sure to not bring that work mentality into enjoying the present moment because there's no work to do. Rather, it's to enjoy the show because the show is just happening all over and you're taking in that show through your senses. No work needed. Yeah. No trying necessary. Just enjoy the show. Oh, I listen to the song. (laughs) (laughs) yes and here we go all the time wanting our money back we wanting to fix things things are broken yeah where in fact the real issue is is that it's not necessarily broken it's that we're dissatisfied with it and so we call it broken but when we become satisfied in its nature then we're satisfied with the way things are and look around, things are actually pretty okay. Yeah, things are all right. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When we do it from the here now perspective, things look all right. There's no dangers, no worries. That's true. There's no snakes on the floor. There's no alligators crawling up your leg. Yeah. Well, if that's true, then why did you scratch it? that was synchronicity by the way it's just as i'm talking about an alligator crawling up your leg you're scratching it (laughs) oh like yeah yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) so this is the whole point is to be here right now right now we can look and not only see what is actually here we can also see what is not here. We not only see the arising of things, but we begin to pay attention also the passing away, the riding away, the absence, the secession. For instance, there's no alligators in the room. And until I said it, you didn't even notice it. You thought that there was something dangerous in the room. Everybody goes around with a low grade level of fear, thinking that things are dangerous somehow Mm. but the reality is right now there's nothing to be afraid of really so we could talk ourselves into that talk ourselves into paying attention to the reality of the moment is is that everything is okay right now no dangers everything is comfortable everything is all right so those are gladdening thoughts right there no place to go and nothing to do and everything is okay. I don't okay. have any jobs or any worries or nothing to do. Just sitting here. Size that. Yeah. <clears throat> and so by doing this, this is Anapanasati. But the noting is needed for two reasons. One is later, once we get the mind really fit for work, there is some noting to be done. 
But in the beginning, the only noting to be done is, is that we're not in that state of joy and satisfaction. And so we need to change what's in the mind to get ourselves into that state of joy and satisfaction. Yeah. And so that's what we do mean by the sati is to wake up, do an investigation, investigate how do we feel, how is the moment, what kind of thoughts am I having, et cetera, like that. And then, you know, an instant repair kit. Bring out that first aid kit, start throwing that junk out. Actually, it's not a first aid kit so much as it is a broom and a mop. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> And clean that mess up so that the the mind is bright and shiny and clean in this moment. Mm. And now we can congratulate ourselves for having just cleaned up a mess. Rather than fussing at ourselves for having made a mess. Yeah, yeah. So this is the attitude change. The attitude changes from critical thinking that there's mess here into the nurturing thinking of, hey, this is a wonderful mess. This is a nice mess. Everything is okay. Yeah. So we, all right. So this is the change of mind that we need, which is that gladdening of the mind taking the mind out of unwholesome hindrances into wholesome thoughts. Now, we can either do meditations for years before we start doing that, or we can practice wrongly doing whatever people are doing, various meditations, but not gladdening the mind. And because they're not doing that one thing, they're missing out on all of the features that come along with that later. And so whatever they're practicing is not that much beneficial to them. Yeah. So they get really attached to a way of doing things very much like that the, uh, the, the, the swelling of the ranks of professional psychologists almost invariably comes from the ranks of failed clients of psychologists. Okay. You've heard it in the sense with teachers those who can do and those who can't teach. Okay. Yeah. Those who go to a psychologist and get cured, go home. Those who can't stay for the profession. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, what does that mean is, is that if we are practicing meditation wrongly, we'll get really attached to that wrong view without getting the benefit out of it. But when you are practicing correctly, you can be, see the benefit in what they are doing that is correctly and say, oh, here, you just need to tweak this or twist that, and then you're good to go. Because that's really what's going on with most meditations is they've got all the skills. They're, they're building sati. They're just not using it correctly. That in fact, even when someone is capable of getting into the first jhana, they do so only with the idea of here comes the second jhana. And here and then the next and the next to start climbing a ladder without recognizing that that's not the correct way of practicing jhana at all. But the correct way of practicing jhana is getting very, very skilled at getting into the first jhana. 
been very, very skilled at maintaining the first jhana. So that then we develop the skill of coming out of the first jhana into the second jhana. Because mostly when people touch the, the second jhana, they fall all the way out of jhana back into hindrances. Right. Okay. And because of that, everything is fleeting and temporary, leaving them with an, uh, uh, an, in, uh, an insatiable thirst for more and more and more experience. Rather than recognizing that the experience that they're having is just what's happening right now. But the whole real issue is the development of the skills that we need to bring about those kind of moments. Rather than having them happen by accident. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the skills are sati and right attitude. Right, exactly. Along with enjoying. one's right investigation and right effort. So right investigation is just looking at what's what your what's in your mind right now. Yes, it's a verb looking. Okay. Sometimes we use it in the in the sense of recollection, going back into the immediate past to go over how we screwed up, for instance, so that we can do a repair job, congratulate ourselves for understanding what happens and then pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off and boogie on down the road. Or we can sit there in remorse for having screwed up. Right, yeah. So and then the, the other question one. is, are we going to learn our lessons or not from our failures? Yeah. And the other one you mentioned is right effort, did you say? Right attitude, yes. The Pali word Already. for that is Sama Sankapa that is sometimes translated as right intention. But you can see underneath any intention, and in fact, the word intention can also be used in the sense of I intend to get that girl. I intend to get her phone number. That's want, wanting something. Where an attitude is, is a more stable in the moment of right now, everything is okay. Right now, I can handle things. Right now, I'm in charge of my own universe. Feeling comfortable, secure, strong, happy, perhaps even aloof, or maybe even arrogant. That okay. you're the boss here. You're God now, today. Right here, right now, this is your place. Take control of your own universe. That's right. the kind of attitude that the Buddha has. He was called a lion. Mm -hmm. Did nobody mess with him? <laughs> Right. And so this is the development of that kind of uh, noble attitude of being above everything, that nothing can touch you. No insults could get to you. Every arrow, no matter how high it shot into the air, will still miss you. And so that's the right attitude that is developed through, and, and the Pali word for that is pity. That pity, that aha, that exhilaration feeling, that marvelous feeling of being, uh, having arrived, having gotten home, 
or to our uh, destination. Okay. My understanding of pity was just that it's like the more like the physical feeling of the you know when you when you you've been feel reading like the Basuti Maga too. Uh no. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe derivatives yes. of it the is, Maga. It is it is in fact spoken of as physical sensations mm-hmm. so that the students will understand that. What the Westerners do is that they chop off about 90% and take that 10% sensation, and that's for them pity. Okay, so uh, okay. let me give you a better example of that. What does the um, Olympic star, the champion who is in the race for the 100-yard dash and about to go across the finish line, one more step to go, how does he feel? knowing that no other runners are even close to catching up with him. Yeah, amazing. What does he do with his hands and his arms? Probably up in the air. Yes, okay. (laughs) And what is that exhilarating feeling that we're talking about here? That's pity. Okay. And he feels tingly all over his body. Okay. So these are natural feelings that this pity. This is not magical stuff that we got out of some magical book of incantations out of the fifth century AD or something like that. No, this is real stuff. In fact, most of civilization, the individuals in the civilization are looking for that kind of thrill, many of them almost nonstop. That's why we have roller coasters and skydiving and sports and war and <laughs> fights between husband and wife and you name it. And it yeah. all has to do about this feeling of power and exhilaration and, and uh, the feeling of triumph. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question about um, the meditation, because. So recently I started um, the Anapanasati where you're focusing on the, the breath and Specifically, I tend to focus on the whole body um, breathing um, just because I find it more comfortable to uh, focus on the whole body. And um, you get to a point where it's like very calm in the meditation and you can. The mind wants to just focus on the body and 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 kind of let go of the breath because you've, you've got these like vibrations or the nerves or something. And it's just more pleasurable just to focus on that and and leave behind the deep breathing, the deep, slow breathing, um, because it feels more like gross and uh, less interesting, I guess, than just focusing on the body. Um, Any any thoughts on that? Did you stop breathing? Uh, No. Stop. Maybe stop. Maybe stop deep breathing. Stop breathing as deeply. Um, when you're not um, actually trying to. Um, well, how do you know that? Uh, Would you be called mindfulness of breathing to know that you've slowed it down and are being even more relaxed? Uh, okay. But then doesn't deep breathing in uh, actually have more to do with the deep in the sense of maybe long? Because that's what it is in the Pali. It's not the word deep at all. It's long. 
Okay. And so all you're doing is making it even more long as you're going deeper. Yeah. But in a sense, you're also taking out the work, taking out the effort. That was optional okay. in the first place. So when you're breathing much, um, yeah, I don't know how to phrase it, but like when you're not focused on it, because I would imagine that your resting um, breath is is nowhere near like long. Um, if I like, I mean, I've like looked at my wife before just to see, you know, sometimes you, you, you think you're breathing um, differently because you're focused on it. So, you know, someone's normal breath is quite short, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Well, there, that's perhaps one of the ways then that we can talk about uh, how to make a slight change in the practice, and that is the word focus. That in fact, uh, the way that it's expressed in the sutta is understand with sati our knowledge that this is a long breath. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. a lighter. Now a lighter that's touch. that's like a not just a light touch, but that's the thought that need last only a tenth of a second or so, leaving the whole rest of that in breath for all kinds of things that you can put inside the mind moments that are going to be happening with that in breath. So long as you come back on the out breath, back to the sati to recognize that this too is a long out breath. And to now you can go and do all kinds of other aspects of Anapanasati while you're doing the outbreath. And, and there are many, many things to train. Mm -hmm. And the first things to train is to investigate the mind to see what kind of thoughts that come in while you're taking a long, deep breath. We're not trying to stop the thoughts and pay only attention to the breath because that set everyone up for failure. Nobody can do that. That's not how the mind was supposed to work anyway. That we work, that the mind, the common uh, uh, modern kind of mind is just nonstop verbal garbage. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what we're going to do is we're not going to interfere right now with the nonstop. We're just going to start changing some of that garbage to something better, more wholesome. And one of the ways that we're going to do that is by paying more attention or having more thought moments that are less garbage about the past and the future and more about what's happening right here, right now. And so we can have thoughts about it. Wow, this is a nice breath. This is so good. I really like this one. Or you can actually have kind of a running dialogue about what's going on, because that would be in line with the way that the Mahasi talk about it, because having a running dialogue about what's going on is all healthy. That's all wholesome. One thought after another, after another, kind of a blow by blow description of what's going on. Uh, would you encourage that? Because um, I, I don't think I naturally do that in terms of like the verbal um, about the breath. Uh, the verbal part is actually um, it has to do with how strong it is. Whether it's up to the level of verbal or not, and almost to the point of shouting. And many people in the noting method, they they do that. That's the beginner's kind of noting. 
and that they call that specifically labeling. Right. But you can do the noting without labeling. You can note it in the sense of seeing it or the investigation. Yeah. Okay. okay. So you can say it in the sense of investigation is looking at it, noting it is writing it down on a piece of paper, taking right. notes. Okay. Or, or explaining or, or labeling or whatever like that. So, yes, there's both kinds, but actually it's not just two kinds, it is more of a continuum. So that you can get down to noting, but the noting now is so soft because you're not adding anything to it. And so you can get very quick and your noting gets very subtle, very fast, very sophisticated. Okay, so I'm understanding this as when doing Anapanasati, and the mind's somewhat calm. Instead of just trying to stay with the breath and ignore thoughts, um, you know that you're breathing and you and you notice the, I guess, defilement thoughts, hindrance thoughts, and replace them with the gladden the mind thoughts. You know that you're having fun. You're just here now. It's all great. Is that is that what you're saying? Um, if you're saying it's all great in order to cheer yourself up, this is actually a very subtle point, and that has to do with um, using the term affirmation. An affirmation is kind of like someone talking themselves into something. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have a bit of the quality of that, but we're not talking ourselves into a reality that doesn't exist by painting a delusion. They're basically, we're, we're uh, painting a picture of reality about how nice reality is right now. An example of that is handing someone a chocolate cupcake with a candle and chocolate and say, oh, look at this, how beautiful that is. Wouldn't you like this cupcake? Here, have a cupcake. We got more if you want another one. But if you say exactly those same words, but now you've got a dead bird rotting in your hand and you hand that to them, then they're not going to have the same response. Okay, so now this is where we come in with this idea of affirmations is, is that we're trying to promise something that we don't have. We don't really have a cupcake. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that all you have to do is just notice you've got cupcakes all over the place, real ones. Yeah. Okay. And so grab a real cupcake and, and delight in that cupcake. Delight in something real. Your moment is absolutely full of cupcakes. And all we have to do is start paying attention to how what marvelous reality we actually live in. Mm -hmm. Because then we're really willing to inspect it because we see how marvelous it is. So long as we're looking at the world with any kind of aversion or wishful thinking or uh, hope or anything like that, we're already coming to it from the perspective of this is going to be a lot of work to clean this mess up. I don't like it. Right? Yeah. So here comes the right attitude. Hot diggity dog, let me in there. I'm going to make quick work of that one. <laughs> I'm going to clean that mind right out. All I have to do is just throw this thought out, and here we are, cleaned up. Ha ha. Been there, done that. Right. And that's the attitude, the attitude that we can do this. 
so that the attitude then develops as part of the development is that the student gets then the confidence that no matter what happens, he can, in fact, clean his mind out right now, no matter what kind of garbage is piled up on his plate or on that conveyor belt, we can dump that load right now and come back to the pleasant moment. And we can do that when we're getting handcuffed or when we're in a hospital or when we're getting kicked out of a country or when we're dead in the bed. It doesn't matter what happens. That load of plate loaded crap, if we're skilled, we can dump that load of crap and come back to the fact that, well, at least I've got this one last breath left. And now is it nice. Right. <laughs> that we can handle anything. That's the right attitude. That we can handle it doesn't matter what happens yeah okay that's good but that only comes from real confidence and the real confidence can only come from real success and the real success is one at a time throwing an unwholesome thought and an unwholesome feeling out and coming back to this state of homeostasis of well-being so mm -hmm. no matter what happens you can make you can recover and maintain your sense of well-being. And trying to do that in everyday life, not just the sitting. Yes, that's the yeah. whole point. Right, yeah. it's the wakey-wakey. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wake up to the fact that you can handle this moment. Doesn't matter what happens, you can handle this. Yeah. And so... Here is where we practice the Eightfold Noble Path up into these four points. These four, four points are uh, generally referred to as um, um, prerequisites or uh, uh, requirements for a unified mind. Now, the unified mind is uh, not well understood in English because they call it uh, concentration right noble concentration but really the word uh samati doesn't mean concentration at all this is one of the holes that is missing in that jigsaw puzzle is this issue of what is the correct definition for the word samati because the word samati itself means to gather together the the factors so when you have all of the jhana factors together that's samati when you have all of the mental factors together then that's a samadhi mind. And the example that I use is like a grandfather clock, a wall clock or something that's got all of the gears fixed. Let's just say that it has come from the jeweler and he has cleaned that clock. And it's correctly oiled and everything is in place and, and it ticks correctly. That would be a samadhi clock where all of its constituent and component parts are in place functioning correctly. Okay, organized correctly. And a concentrated clock then would be when somebody takes a sledgehammer to that clock and tries to make it small. Right. <laughs> and so it's not really concentration, it's rather gathering the factors together. So when we have the factors of right uh, noble sati, right noble investigation, right noble effort, and right noble attitude, bringing those things together brings about right organization of mind, right unification of mind. So uh, what is that list of factors called? 
the Eightfold Noble Path. Oh, okay. And you listed four, right? Yes. Of the rec requirements, because the last three are features. Oh, okay. Okay. So you bring these four together as skill development, and the mind becomes noble. It becomes organized. Um, and so, uh, with and we call it unified because it's not split up anymore. There's no duality. There's no them and us. It's just all us. That it's friends, not friends and enemies. That the mind is unified. Another one is, is that the one who has a unified mind doesn't tell lies because lies and truth are separate. That's a duality. And so we don't tell lies. Another one is, is that we don't want anything. If we wanted something, then that means that I'm incomplete. I'm not whole. I need whatever it is that I want. But if I'm in a state of satisfaction and don't want anything, now the mind is whole and unified. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so when the mind is whole and unified, then, uh, because we don't want anything, it's you know, unlikely that you're going to go kill someone to get it. And how far do you have to take that not wanting things? Like, what if I want to, like, paint or decorate a room in my house? Is that Right is that to this very moment. Mm-hmm. Because everything happens right in this very moment. If the mind is unified right now, then you're not going to kill anybody right now. And that happens sometimes. In the sense that they're in a brawl or a fight and all of a sudden I've got you pinned to the ground. My uh, knees are on your shoulders and arms and I've got a pistol right in your face. And I'm so angry at you, I'm about to kill you. And then I have a mind moment of, Wait a minute, wake up. I have already proved the point. I've won this. There's no reason to kill this guy. And I put the gun away. That would be a moment of wisdom. Okay, so it doesn't have to be all the time. You don't want anything. Um, right, it's not a room, it's a conveyor belt. Right. It's what's happening in this moment is what we need to pay attention to too. And this is why I have to keep stressing it over and over and over again in many, many different ways to each student is to come out of the mindset of time and into the concept of now. Okay. You can be Everything a monk for a is... moment. <laughs> right, this moment. Yeah. This moment, only this moment. You don't have to do anything, any time in the world, past or future. All we have is this moment. Yes, this one. <laughs> this moment. Right now, it's still this moment. It's been right now for a long time. <laughs> but here we are in this present moment. What's happening right now? That's what's the important thing. So when you want to go paint the wall, you can have that thought, I'll paint the wall. But between the time that you say, I think I'll paint the wall, and when the wall gets painted, you're going to have tens of thousands of thought moments, including how can I get this paint off my nose? <laughs> and so just the thought of painting the wall is not painting the wall. 
Therefore, since you're not painting the wall, why are you even bothered to think about the wall? Isn't that a form of dukkha? You want the wall to be different than it is when the wall, in fact, looks fine to me. <laughs> and so when we have wholesome thoughts, the walls can be on their own. Walls don't need us to paint it. The wall doesn't own you, does it? Yeah. No. So the wall is not demanding that you paint it. And since the wall didn't want anything, you're both very happy to do nothing. <laughs> the wall's better at it than you are. <laughs> <laughs> Doing nothing, I mean. <laughs> so this is the way that we can begin to think is, is that, hey, if those thoughts require me to do something, then those thoughts are unwholesome because that makes me feel like I've got to, uh, that I'm unsettled, I've got to go do something. Yeah. But if I have thoughts that the wall's okay and the house is okay and this breath is okay and this chair is okay and everything is okay, then we can relax. Just enjoy the show. So this is part, this is the Anapanasati that has all of this completeness to it because we're experiencing the body, watching the breath, learning to see the body, and then step four is relaxing the body. And we're also gladdening the mind and investigating the mind. And by doing that, we develop uh, sukha, which is feeling of safety, security, comfort, and satisfaction. And with that, then we develop Pity, which is the feeling of success or the fulfillment of the Sama Sankapa, right noble attitude. So those four things together then are actually the way that we practice Anapanasati. Without the Eightfold Noble Path, Anapanasati is really hard to understand what we're supposed to do here. But when you add the features of the Eightfold Noble Path, you recognize all. Oh, the Anapanasati was designed to help one practice the Eightfold Noble Path, which it says that, by the way, right there in the suttas. <laughs> oh, okay. And so we practice Anapanasati for the fulfillment of the four foundations of mindfulness. That's why it's listed as body, feelings, mind, and mind's objects, is because that goes along with the old traditional way of the four elements of solid, liquid, air, and fire. But we don't practice it that way. Don't practice in that order. The order that we would practice would be uh, the sati of waking up and doing investigation would be step nine, gladdening the mind would be step 10, taking a deep breath is at step one, watching what the body is doing is step three, Gladdening the mind also is also uh, is helping us to feel better. Step six. Then we practice step five, and along with that comes step four, and then we begin to see the connection between the mind and the body, which is step eight and nine, or excuse me, step seven and eight, and off we go into beginning to unify the mind, which is the eightfold noble path is actually one of the steps of Anapanasati. I think it's like step twelve of the unification of the mind, as well as the freeing, the freeing of the mind, 
liberation of the mind. So this is all built right into Anapanasati, and it is the practice of the Eightfold Noble Path. And that once we get body, feeling, mind together and get them unified and working correctly, then that's the first jhana. And now the mind is fit for work to do the rest of it. The actual vipassana is the arising and the passing away of phenomena that's actually real, not hindered, not dukkha, but reality of the mind as it works. The arising and passing away of all phenomena. We'll talk about that in, on another time. Yeah. But this is uh, the, the important point is how can you get your mind fit for work? You have to have all of the jhana factors to get the mind into the first jhana so that you can be free from the hindrances so that you can check out the way things really are. Reality is it actually exists, not the, uh, 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 let us say, the coat of dilapidated paint that we keep painting on things. Okay. And so this is the practice of Anapanasati and that missing ingredient of gladdening the mind, brightening the mind, becoming joyful, uh, getting on top of your game, getting some confidence. Uh, and that that's what needs to be practiced over and over and over and over and over again until you feel like you're a winner rather than. The, the habit that we have built up over many, many years is the habit of being a victim to the world, that we need to fix the world so that we can feel good because the world really does control us. I mean, we are victims to the world, but if we can bribe the world or tweak it or fix it somehow, then the world will be good to me. All right. But now we're making a change to that and recognize, oh, no, my well-being has nothing to do with what the world is doing. That's all my job. Yeah. I can brighten the mind all by myself. I don't have to get the world to fix me. And in fact, any broken is just stupidity on my part. I'm not broken at all. I'm good to go. Yeah. I have to remember that because we've been practicing over and over again being broken. Yeah. And so now it's time to practice not being broken. Being okay. <laughs> Everything is fine. I wasn't broken after all. What to do? <laughs> so, what do you think about this? Yeah. Um, I guess I'll uh, take it on board and. Uh, so apply it throughout the day and apply it to my next meditation. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah. The way that I'd say it is, this is quite a Ferrari you gave me. I'm going to go take it for a spin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, good, Alex. Welcome aboard. When are you going to call again? Um... Well, I, are, you, are your weekends busy? Because the weekends are probably best for me. I don't have weekends. I mean, like, do, do you get lots of students waiting for the weekends to call you at this around this time or around the time I called? Not, I'm not keeping track. Okay. Okay. So I'll just try maybe maybe next weekend. Whenever you like. Okay. Sounds good.
All yes, right. I'm yeah. happy, happy to talk. So whenever you like, you can call. Okay, great. Yeah, thanks for your time. Excellent. Well, good to meet you, and we'll see you soon. Okay, see you soon. Have a good evening. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> 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 All righty, see you later. See you. Bye.